welcome to another episode of All Things AMR with myself, Edwin Pamford Quenu. And today I have a special guest with me, and I'm going to get her to introduce herself and tell us a bit more about herself and also what she will be telling us about. So over to you, special guest for this episode. Hello, everyone. My name is uh, Joanna Wysek, and I'm a research advisor at Welcome Trust. Today, I would like to tell you a bit about myself, uh, what I do at Welcome Trust, and what I do in uh, in the AMR space. Okay, and um, you are on the right platform, all things AMR. So, I guess for me, let's start with your journey. Sure. Yeah, it's always uh, always fun how fun to talk how how one got to AMR. It's in a in a way a very niche subject. So, um, my journey was slightly unorthodox, I would say. So, obviously, uh, I was always interested in uh, in biology, chemistry, and physics, and got into university uh, to study biotechnology, which was one of those subjects that marry all these three things and then um, realizing that I really like research I stayed and did my PhD that really was uh, um, focused more on microbiology and molecular biology uh, at UCL and did my postdoc there as well Um, and at that point I really realized that what I really like doing is to taking the research idea and taking that concept and turning it turning it into a new uh, treatment or new diagnostic so basically a product that is useful to patients and that's how my uh, AMR journey with Wellcome Trust has started. So um, at Wellcome, I'm specifically working on new treatments and diagnostics, and that role is quite broad. So as part of uh, my uh, my advisory role at Wellcome, I not only work with Carbex, and that may mean working very closely with startups, product developers, um, diagnostic developers, but also working on the policy side and on the regulatory side. So making sure that once we've got those treatments developed, we actually can deploy them. Uh, Diagnostics can be implemented in various countries, not only in high-income countries, but also in in low- and middle-income countries. So a very, very varied role and a very interesting place to work at. So what was your, I guess, what was the um, the role brief that attracted you to this particular role? There are a couple of things that uh, interested me about working for Welcome Trust. So, so I guess maybe what will be quite interesting to those of you who doesn't know Welcome Trust that well, I'll just give you a brief overview um, because it's a very interesting organization. It's basically a global charitable foundation and it was established quite a while ago. So in 1936 with headquarters in London, where still we are based and a very new um, office in Berlin. But what Welcome does is focuses specifically on big health challenges so that's the the main thing for us big health challenges and antimicrobial resistance drug resistant infections uh, are one of those priorities that we are trying to tackle 
what is really interesting for us or interesting about us uh, and what really helps us to achieve those goals is that we are both financially and politically independent and that's really down to our uh, endowment so the whole um, charity started with Henry Welcome who's our founder and uh, the en endowment is worth 27 billion um, pounds and what we do with it is we have our finance team in the building around 12 people and they really focus and work really hard to to make sure that we can generate profit from that that endowment and that goes solely to support any global activities healthcare activities and to support scientists so currently we support around 14,000 scientists in more than 70 countries and spend around £1 billion annually on, on research, healthcare-related initiatives. So, so that definitely was something appealing to me, knowing that it's an organisation that, that focuses solely on health and big priorities. Um, it was something that I wanted to... to uh, be part of making a huge impact but also specifically uh, my expertise centered around microbiology molecular biology product development new treat treatments etc so this role was really perfect for me where i could um, work quite closely with carbex is, is um, a global funder and accelerator for the development of new treatments and, diag and diagnostics for drug-resistant infections. And it was funded um, by uh, Wellcome Trust uh, back in 2016. So we have quite close links with Carbex and, and part of our interaction is really to work quite closely with companies and support them scientifically, technically, on a, and also on, on the business side of things. And we were also part of the accelerator of, of Carbex. So what it means is that when a company joined uh, Carbex and received funding from Carbex, they were also receiving a lot of support, technical, scientific and business support. And Welcome uh, was part of that. So working quite closely with the startup community to make sure um, that we can support the development of those new treatments and, and really help those scientists. Okay, so when you say um, the you know, AMR is one of the big challenges Welcome is focused on, is there, what other examples of big health challenges are they currently funding or supporting in the global health field? Sure, so it's interesting that if uh, asked this question, uh, it's actually a very good timing for this question because Welcome is changing its strategy. Um, so the whole organisational strategy is, is changing. We're just going through it. And uh, there was a recent announcement about uh, what we'll focus on. And as a global organisation, we always uh, make a review of uh, main priorities currently um, just affecting the globe and, and yeah. everyone worldwide and and our new strategy will focus uh, significantly on three things really so one of those things is infectious diseases and and that's where amr drug amr fits in exactly okay. and the remaining two and i think it will not be a surprise to anyone is mental health and oh, yes <laughs> absolutely yes yeah. mental health and also climate change 
Perfect. So, okay. And um, so within your team, um, I'm guessing you all focus on AMR. Yes. Um, so on, give me like a typical, I, I know it, there won't be a typical day to day in your job, but give me an overview of, you know, um, your, your role. So are you given like a portfolio? What, what does that look like in, you know, in your, in welcome for you? Sure. Yeah. And, and surprisingly, this is a very difficult question. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I'm asking. <laughs> yes. First of all, as you rightly said, there's no such thing as a typical day. So it's, it's a perfect job for people who really like variety. Uh, and second of all, uh, we also, um, we are a team of 15 people. And it's predominantly uh, composed of scientists. So there's a lot of people specialising in various different aspects. So I have my colleagues specialising in AMR, also colleagues specialising in diagnostic devices, uh, but more on the, on the policy side, and uh, clinical trials. Um, so, so quite broad. We also do a lot of um, policy work and advocacy work around the okay. scientific initiatives we run. But in general, to give you a bit of an overview of what I do, and, and th this will be the easiest to explain because uh, um, it's quite close to me, is based on my expertise. So in this case, uh, microbiology and product development, I sit on the new treatments and diagnostic uh, theme mm -hmm. and all the activities around that theme. And um, I probably have to give you a bit of a background. So, so when Wellcome Trust decided that drug-resistant infections, uh, antimicrobial resistance is a significant problem, we were quite um, acutely aware that um, we really don't we really don't really have enough antibiotics being produced. Um, so back in 2015 and even earlier, there were quite a few pharmaceutical, pharmaceutical companies leaving the field. And it really started with some of the big names like Pfizer, then followed by AbbVie, AstraZeneca in 2016. So once we, we saw this um, big pharma leaving the field, we also were acutely aware that there won't be any companies doing early discovery research and producing, developing new antibiotics. And you really can't um, combat AMR and uh, foster, um, foster innovations without having anyone working in the research and development space. And that's mm -hmm. how we decided that we really need more funding going towards research and development of new antibiotics. And and we and it's broadly called, commonly called by everyone, push funding. So there was a very clear recollection that we need push funding for antibiotic um, antibiotic development. And that's how Carbex started um, back in 2016. Um, and and we we worked very closely with Carbex, as I mentioned, until September last year, we were also part of the accelerator. So what it meant for me in my day-to-day -day job was that yes. I worked 
very closely with all the companies that received funding from Carbex. And that uh, meant meeting with them either face to face or having virtual meetings, meetings, phone calls and reviewing their technical progress, making sure that they are not really struggling with anything. And if they do, um, my role was also to support them going through those challenging times and supporting them from a scientific, technical or business point of view. And if I wasn't uh, the best uh, person to do so because I might not be an expert expert in chemistry or expert in uh, market research. It was my role to actually put them in touch with the relevant um, expert to to help them succeed. So, so okay. that's 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 what my role um, with Carbex was. You mentioned that a lot of the big farmers left the antibiotic um, production. Um, R&D um, research and development um, field. Um, could you give, give, um, give us a brief overview of why that, um, they took that decision? Sure, and it's, it's a fascinating topic, really. So very happy to. Um, so when you think about anti antibiotic development, uh, it started with really uh, Mr. Fleming and penicillin, uh, and it was quite a while ago. And since then, there was um, there were quite a few companies developing um, antibiotics, but for a significant amount of time, we we really haven't developed a new class antibiotic. And uh, to be honest, around two thousand and six and uh, two thousand eleven. Um, so across that uh, period of time, we started seeing big pharma exiting the antibiotic R&D. And there are a couple of reasons for it, really. So first of all, when you think about antibiotics and how we use them and what is the cultural context to it, um, antibiotics are really common use um, and they are really cheap as well. So certain and thought for even some even sense so yeah. they can be very cheap and the problem here is that in general it takes 10 to 15 years to develop a new antibiotic and it also costs on average um 1.5 billion dollars us dollars so it's a lot of money and a lot of time and it also requires a lot of expertise and um, so you really require specialists spanning from different fields such as microbiology, toxicology, pharmacology, uh, clinicians etc uh, etc. Et so it's really labour and finance intensive process and then at the end of that process you sell that antibiotic for one dollar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and and I, I i'm guessing as well that you know the um the the billions that you've mentioned is actually the average yeah. so it could be a lot more in some cases yeah it can be quite uh, a bit longer than that uh, a bit more than that so very case dependent and it's very expensive and um, it's different to other um treatments so when we think about oncology uh oncology are really expensive. You can't buy one for, for a penny. I'm sure people would no. like to, but it's very expensive. And also the difference yeah. is 
that um, patients with cancer usually take those treatments for much longer than a week or two. And unfortunately, that's where not only big pharmaceutical companies, but also small or medium-sized companies can make money because the current model is very much linked to volume of sales. So if your antibiotic uh, is sold for $1 and you've invested as much money as $1.5 billion, then you really have to sell a lot of it. But but then if you think about it, I mean, with you know, with all of that, like you said, with the number of antibiotics that's used, is is it that because they're cheaper that the return investment doesn't happen? So it's, it's I would say it's more complex than that. Um, okay. So first of all, they are cheap. And therefore, uh, it's difficult to get the return on your investment. And we're not even talking about the return and making money. At the moment, it's even difficult to recoup the money you've put in. So it's a really very difficult situation where when you think financially about these things, you wouldn't go into a sector or into a market where you can't even um, reach a net zero. And that's the situation at the moment. Uh, Yes. And also the second situation or second thing to consider is that we are more aware now and we can see uh, trends that antimicrobial resistance is actually rising and we really have to preserve the antibiotics we have. We really have to treasure Mm -hmm. uh, the things we have because once we've run out of antibiotics, which is, to be honest, until recently it was quite possible because the pipeline of new antibiotics was drying up and there wasn't much going on. And when you think about it, and not having access to an antibiotic can has can have severe consequences. Uh, and in pretty much every field of your existence, so even going to a dentist and, and um, having a tooth extraction can be dangerous to your health if you don't really have antibiotics to use. Even giving a birth could be really life-threatening if you don't have access to antibiotics. Simple surgeries, Mm -hmm. um, which we don't really consider as uh, as severe, can be actually high risk if you don't have access to antibiotics. So it's quite important to preserve what we have, and it's quite important to keep um, producing novel antibiotics. And hence, the, the strategy of preserving the antibiotics is have we have is called stewardship. And yep. uh, so, so the model at the moment is if a new antibiotic, we don't want to use it. We want to put it on a shelf as third line antibiotic, which will be used in special cases when you're not reacting. To the antibiotics that common antibiotics, that, yeah. common antibiotics yeah. that we have, so it's a very tricky situation where antibiotics are not really expensive, so it's difficult to recoup the profit, the the 
money put in by um, product developers. And then once it's developed, mm -hmm. we also don't want to use it. So the sales are um, lower than you usually would expect them to be. So we really... So it's a bit of a catch-22 situation, really, isn't it? It's really it? difficult at the moment. And that's why um, what, what we really have to do is keep continuing with push, push funding, uh, keep yeah. initiatives such as where we really focus on funding new treatments, funding new vaccines, mm -hmm. funding new diagnostics for antimicrobial resistance to really enable clinicians to diagnose the infection and provide a patient with the right antibiotic. But that's one side of the story. We really also need to focus on the second part, so pull incentives. And what it means, we really have to devise some clever workable reimbursement models, which can ensure that product developers, whether they are big pharma, or small startups or medium-sized companies, keep producing new antibiotics and they are incentivized to produce them somehow because they can make some money at the end of that journey. And we are not, not talking okay. about making them rich. We are just talking about incentivizing people to even keep being in the field. Develop. <laughs> keep, keep developing. Yes. So there are some interesting initiatives. Um, you may have heard of the NHS pilot. Um, I actually, funnily enough... Um, I read about it today. Um, so can you, I guess, for our listeners' benefit, tell us a bit more about that NHS pilot incentive? Sure. Um, so it's really innovative and it's great that NHS is doing it. So this Netflix for antibiotics model really works on a basis that we want to de-link selling antibiotics uh, from volume. So we don't really want to uh, focus on um, pharma companies making profits by, say, by selling a lot of antibiotics through huge volumes. Mm -hmm. So this subscription model, so it really works on a basis that governments, and in this case, it's a pilot by the UK, the mm -hmm. governments would subscribe um, uh, to have access to various antibiotics from pharmaceutical companies, and they will pay a fixed annual rate uh, for these antibiotics. Um, so it's quite similar to a subscription to a Netflix or something else. Um, and this is really recognizing that we we still have, want to have access to those antibiotics if we want, if we need to. But we don't want to uh, reward companies for selling loads because that will not help us long term. Yeah. So what's happening at the moment, NHS, in collaboration with the National Institute for Health and Care Excellence, uh, is really trialing this, um, this model and also really trying to flesh out all the details. So how much it should be paid, what should be the health technology assessment. So this is something we haven't yet covered, but health technology assessment is how um, governments are assessing uh, the usefulness and the value of, of treatment 
So that will be also a part of that. And um, I think what has happened to date is um, that they went through a rigorous process and, and expert input, clinical input, to really uh, decide which two antibiotics to focus on at the moment. And they okay. will be focusing on two. One from Shinogi, which is a Japanese company. Japanese, yeah. And another one from Pfizer. Um, but to be honest, it's still early yet know much details about it um, and I think COVID situation is not really helping it but what it means and, and that's why this whole thing is quite exciting, what it means is that this model if piloted successfully means that we'll have um, a way of incentivizing companies to keep doing research and developing new antibiotics and providing them with um, adequate payment for having access to those antibiotics, but not through huge sales and um, uh, and undervalued antibiotics, if it may sense, have sense. Yes, no, it, it does. It does. So, I mean, b but then you've then got this situation where I guess um, the, these will be on demand type antibiotics then. Yes. So, um, on demand means that if you need them, you request the company to provide you them. And yes. Yes, and what it means is that those companies are not pushing those antibiotics, not pushing the sales of these antibiotics through marketing and through talking to doctors. Um, it just means that when there is um, a requirement for this antibiotic to be used, uh, the companies can provide it but the payment due to subscription will be fixed. So they are not paid for X, Y, Z of antibiotics being delivered. Right. Okay. Okay. And and I, I guess you're saying this is kind of early stages. So I guess watch this space. Um, is, is there any other kind of financial incentives that um, is either similar or um, happening that you're aware of globally um that is also worth um you know worth kind of un uh, knowing about um so so the topic of reimbursement models um is in general very important and uh, the common theme here is that we really have to look at antibiotics um as delinked from the volumes so really the focus now is to delink uh, the cell from the volume. And that's why we've got this NHS, um, mm. NHS pilot, which is called a, a subscription because it's pretty much a subscription, really. And there's also a new development, or maybe not so new, but a development in the US, which is called a Pasteur Act, which is uh, similar in its concept, but also very early stages. So we should watch the space and see how things are developing. And developing on that side. But okay. the main point okay. is similar. It's um, enabling antibiotics enabling the access to antibiotics with delinking it from uh, volume uh, volumes being sell sold yeah 
the um the pa- pasteur one actually I, um when i was reading about it it's quite in- interesting because they've spelt it like louis pasteur anyway yes. um but well I, I guess you said watch this space but you know do you see that becoming something much bigger and globally accepted do you think i think this is a tangible proposition really and i think um it would not work if it's just one country following this. So mm-hmm. we are really, um, in, in terms of the situation, we are really thinking about having a G20 countries contribute to this way of thinking and joining this this uh, model or joining this way of doing things. And then it would be actually possible through this approach, we could create um, a sustainable R&D ecosystem. And that's exactly what everyone is desperate to have. Because this is exactly the situation where things at the moment are not really sustainable. And without pull incentives and only focusing on push incentives, which we have at the moment because we talked about CARBEX and there are also other institutions that provide funding uh, for um, drug resistant for treatments for drug resistant infections, um, but without having pull incentives and pull incentives and an R and D ecosystem that works, it unfortunately would be quite difficult because there are other things that um, are linked to the problems. If you think about um, antibiotics development field being difficult. Many people, um, clever young talent, is also leaving the field for mm-hmm. uh, for companies that um, that uh, have less struggles and really can provide uh, jobs and uh, secure, secure security living. for them, isn't exactly. it? Yeah, security for them actually quick um, i mean whilst we're on the to- topic so with the big farmers leaving the environment would you say that that then um opened or paved the way for i guess um research hungry in terms of uh, you know new antibiotics or amr kind of uh, field research hungry small medium enterprises um did, they, did that create and a, a hunger in that sphere for um for this at all okay so if i if i can rephrase it i think with big pharma leaving the r&d uh, development there definitely was a void because uh, historically big pharmaceutical companies have been doing early drug discovery and developing um, uh, antibiotics and, and there's there's uh, there are reasons for it so first of all they have um, they have the financial and human resource to do so so they have plenty of uh, good scientists that can do that research they have do so they can take those risks um and so on and so forth but as the as, as we discussed through the problems of low margins and really uh, struggling to to recoup the investments made um those big companies left the field and there's a lot of experts that also had to re-specialize and and either retire or go somewhere else and in most cases probably it would be oncology because um, there is some sort of overlap in those things so there is lost talent um human talent and there's also a void which which was 
filled so the innovations uh, and, and making sure that they are happening that was filled by uh, young startups and small medium-sized companies um, and uh, it's quite clearly visible when you actually go on Carbex's website and look through the current portfolio majority of those companies are actually uh, quite young and uh, and really majority of them are startups or just small medium sized company companies uh, and this is where the innovations are happening at the moment it's actually the small companies innovating the field and learning as they go and hence when carbex was set up and and that's really interesting carbex is not only a funder uh, to those product developers it also supports them uh, throughout the journey and that's predominantly because those companies when they join they're not big farmers that have the resource that have historical knowledge that have access to um, money expertise etc etc these companies really learn as they go so carbex also provides any relevant experts through the accelerator network called the global accelerator network um, which consists of uh, different organizations dotted around the globe so that is really uh, uh, i call it uh, a failure prevention so making sure okay that the void is kind of sealed <laughs> yeah so really to be honest we knew it was quite quite clear that once the big farmer was leaving, um, there will be a void and the pipeline of new antibiotics was drying up. So hence, um, many organizations pushed for push funding and hence Carbex and Novo Repair Fund, which also is uh, another funding source for product developers that focus on AMR. Those things became available and they really incentivized product developers and they really invigorated the field. So we have quite exciting things happening. There's, there's a lot of research going on. But as we discussed, okay. um, this has to follow with reimbursement models that can actually create a sustainable way of developing antibiotics. Okay. okay. And, and it sounds really interesting, the, the whole CarbX concept. And, and I guess for me, it, um, my request now would be, you know, I would love you to come back at some point and, and talk about CarbX because that in, in itself is, is really, it's, it's a whole topic right there. And it would be interesting to see, to hear more about what's going on. So is it, you know, if that's something you would love to do, then I would gladly like to have you back again to talk about Carbex, um, with us. Sure. If that's okay. Is that, is that something of interest that to you? That would be a pleasure. It, it was lovely to chat now and more than happy to talk about Carbex. I think they do quite exciting things. So more than happy to, to come back. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Joanna. It's been a pleasure having you on here. And for all you listeners out there, this is Edwin Pamphokwainun signing off all things AMR. Until next time. Bye for now.